Would you open God's word up to Ezekiel chapter 36, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, that's where you find it. One of the major prophets, as they're sometimes called, though a bit misleading, they're all major prophets because it's God's word, but it is one of the longer prophets, and Ezekiel was a prophet who was carried off captive to Babylon, not when Jerusalem fell under the Babylonians, but a decade earlier when the first deportees were carried off. And in captivity, Ezekiel received revelation of God. And we want to look at Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 16 and reading to the end of the chapter. It's quite an amazing portion of scripture. Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel 36 at verse 16. Give our attention to the word of the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have to gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed, In you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed unconfounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. 
The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered at holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. If you take out the Forms and Prayers book to read the church's confession, And summary of God's word, we're at page 254 in that Forms and Prayers book. 254. We're studying how to pray and we're studying the Lord's Prayer here. And so we're at Lord's Day 47 as it's marked. And it's about that first petition, Hallowed Be Your Name. Question 122 asks, how does the first, excuse me, what does the first petition mean? And let's recite the answer together. Hallowed be your name means, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Shall we ask the Lord for his blessing today? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have a Savior who teaches us to pray, and we ask that he would do that now. With the disciples of old, we say, Lord, teach us to pray, and we do so with expectation. And with dependence, because apart from you and your spirit, we have no access to God, we have no heart to seek you. Let your word then work in us today. We all need encouragement and praying. God, you know that. Be merciful to us, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. When we began our study of prayer, we noted our summary in Lord's Day 45 that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness. And now, today we're learning that the chief part of prayer is what? The chief part of prayer is to seek the glory of God. It is a blessing that Jesus, our Savior and King, teaches us how to pray because only Christ can order correctly the priorities of prayer in our own hearts and minds. J.I. Packer writes, were we left to ourselves, any praying that we did would both start and end with ourselves, for our natural self-centeredness knows no bounds. Very true, right? But Christ by Spirit is, is giving us new hearts to reorder our lives and our desires to seek first the glory of God. So the first petition is, hallowed be thy name. And boys and girls, that's an old word, hallowed. But it means to, to make holy, or if it's something that you can't make any more holy than it is, like God, then it means to keep it holy 
or to understand it as holy, to recognize it as holy. So that's what we're praying. God, let your name be known as holy. Let it be set apart for praise. Let men trust it and revered and adored and praise it. Let the holiness of your name be acknowledged by all. That is to be our foremost desire. And if we don't know that, we have not gotten very far with God. And even if we do know it, then we know that we don't know it very well. And we need these constant reminders because our prayers become inverted, don't they? And we turn in upon our own desires and we forget the reason for which we've been made and the reason for which this universe was created for the glory of God. And so Christ would turn us right side out and teach us to pray, hallowed be your name. Let's look at that this morning. Let us notice, first of all, that this, as we look at the book of Ezekiel with it here in chapter 36, that this is a forgotten request, first of all. It's secondly, a remembered request. And it's thirdly, an enjoyable or delightful request. First of all, it's a forgotten request. It's a disregarded petition. Now, if to hallow something means to, to keep it holy, to reverence it, then we're praying that God's name, beginning in our own lives, would not be blasphemed or drugged through the mud. We're, we're praying, Father, don't let us empty your name of its value and its meaning and its importance in the eyes of the world. Cause your name through us to receive the praise it deserves. Fulfill Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. His name is great. It, it makes a claim. It's a profound name. Let all men revere it. And we're praying that that would be the case. And it's not the first petition for an accident. You remember that the, the Lord's prayer is very well ordered, right? There's six, there's six requests, and the first three are about God, and the second three have to do with our needs, right? And the second three, we get to pray for our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, and protection in temptation. But the first three come first for a reason, obviously. They're about God. And so we pray for, for God's name, for his kingdom, and for his will to be done. But above all of them stands this first petition, Hallowed be thy name, because all the other ones are encompassed there. Even when we pray for, for our sandwiches, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying, God, do that for your praise and for your glory. Now, it's a great privilege we have. It's first of all a privilege to pray, right? That's an extraordinary privilege, an almost unbelievable familiarity of conversation, one 17th century Dutch minister calls it. That we should be allowed to come into the presence of God, into the throne room itself, and to address the living God. That's an amazing thing, prayer by itself. But this Dutch theologian of some 300 years ago went on to say, But the most wonderful of all, and one which almost exceeds belief, is that a man should be allowed to plead not only for himself and his neighbor, but for God, that the kingdom of God and the glory of God should be the subject of his prayer as if God were unwilling to be glorious or to exercise dominion except in answer to the prayers of believers. See what he's getting at. So this, is a, this is an unbelievable honor that I get to pray for God's name. Not just for my name, for our well-being, but for God's name. Now, God bestowed that right upon Israel in a unique way in the Old Testament. He, he said to them in Exodus 19, as he brought them out of 
out of slavery to Mount Sinai. Then he says in Exodus 19, verse 6, And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You, my people, will be a kingdom of priests. You'll be a, a, a people, a holy people to pray and a holy nation to show to the world my holiness by how you live according to my laws. And so election in the Old Testament served, as it does in the New Testament, the purpose of God gathering a people to bring his name praise. With a mighty hand, God brought his people out of Egypt, and he set them in a very particular place. In fact, back in Ezekiel chapter 5, at verse 5, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. Now, maybe you've learned before the geographical location of Israel. They were not placed in some obscure region in Siberia. They were set on this narrow strip of land, a land bridge between all the major kingdoms of the world, as it were, trading around, so that they would be seen and noticed. Israel was to be a light upon the hill. People were to take notice of this little nation. And God wanted them to reflect as a mirror does or as the moon reflects the glory of the sun. He wanted his Old Testament church to shine in the midst of these nations and to draw attention for the glory of God's name. But in the passage we've read, they have received a terrible indictment. God says, you have not glorified my name, you profaned my name. Profaning the name is the difference, the opposite of hallowing the name. If hallowing is to recognize its honor and glory, profaning is to treat it as common or to treat it with irreverence or disrespect. And you, my people who reflect my glory, you've obscured my glory, you've tarnished my reputation, you've caused the world to think less of my name. Sad, sad word. God says you've abused the land, you've defiled the land, there's bloodshed. Earlier in Ezekiel, he said you sacrificed your children to idols. He says here that you've engaged in idolatry. You've had love affairs with false gods. God's name was connected to the land of Israel and connected to his people. And now they've polluted the whole place. And they've used God in an attempt to get what they could out of God for their own sakes. They, they played hypocrites, approaching God to, to get from him, but not to give to him glory. And so in doing all this, they've given the impression to the world that our God is just like your God. He's just this deity, this power you have to manipulate to get what you need. You have to appease him, offer him some sacrifices, jump through some hoops, and then you can get from him. And all the nations thought, well, Israel's God, I guess, is like our God. He, he likes sexual morality. He, he likes to be appeased because he's an irrational being. He's selfish. And so God said, I can't allow this to go on. And so God threw them out of the land. He brought captivity upon them. They were carried off. But as God sought to sanctify his name in the world by bringing judgment upon his own people, 
there was a negative result. And maybe you notice what that was. The negative result of casting his people out of the land was what? Well, verse 20. When they came to the nations, that's when the church, the people of God came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, when the nations said of them, these are the people of Jehovah, and yet they have gone out of his land. You remember back in the book of Joshua, it was the opposite. God's bringing his people out of captivity up to the land of Canaan. And the people are amazed. Look at what Jehovah does for his people. What a, what a God he is. Remember, remember Rahab in Joshua chapter 2? She says, we know all that your God has done for you. The terror of your Lord has fallen upon all of us. We know he dried up the Red Sea before you. We know what he did to those Amorite kings for you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. See, all the nations were watching these events, and they said, wow, Israel's God is so different from our gods. But now, centuries later, it appears to the nations we were wrong. I guess Israel's God's just like our God. He couldn't keep his people in the land. He couldn't protect them from the Babylonians. Or he was unwilling to. He's not faithful to his people. And so God says four times over, verses 21 through 23, You've profaned my name. You've profaned my name. You have profaned my name. You've belittled my name among the nations. And that's a sad and a sorrowful indictment, isn't it? I mean, what could be worse than to be the obstacle of somebody seeing the glory of God? And we've done that at times, haven't we? We've felt it at times. Maybe this past week, the words that we spoke the way we treated somebody at work or in the store or what we wrote on the internet. We didn't help them see the glory of our God. We actually, if they were looking at us to give them a picture of what our God is like, we actually lied about our God. We misrepresented him. God wants us, as we pray the first petition, to examine our hearts, doesn't he? And to say, Lord, have I belittled your name in this world? Have I brought in some way disgrace to, to this name? You know, somebody wears a team jersey, they represent the team. If somebody wears the company jacket or drives the company truck, then people are watching. How does he drive? He's connected to the name. Well, we wear the name. We've been baptized into the name, Father, Son, and Spirit. And our lives then reflect on that name. Have we in any way fallen short of bringing glory to that name? That's the first question this morning. If in our worship we don't give to God the praise he's worthy of, we don't listen to his word with reverence, then we're, we're saying his name's not very important, his word's not important. If we worship only for self, what can I get out of this? Then we have turned things. Or if we don't come to worship at all, right? It's interesting that the catechism, you know, reminds us how much the first petition is connected to worship because it says, hallowed be thy name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you. 
Well, where does knowing God and praising God come together more poignantly than than in the worship service? Here we come to know God. His word is declared to us. And here we come then to praise God and give him the glory and the honor. So praying the first petition with integrity means that, that we ask the Lord, am I worshiping you how I ought to and when I ought to? And maybe as we hear ministers talk about worship and worship services, we, we think it's kind of like mom or grandma. She's prepared a meal and she just wants everyone to be there. Or maybe, maybe worse, it's a vain actor who wants everyone to come and watch them. And I, I get that. Ministers can be vain. I'm not above it. We ministers need prayers, your prayers, to be humble servants and not vain. But if you can, if you can set aside the, the vain minister standing before you today and ask, does my worship attendance honor this name? What would be the answer? I'm not just talking about the evening service, but our morning services too often have many seats empty. When visitors come among us to our morning or our evening service, are we saying to them, this name is awesome by our attendance and our worship? Or do the empty seats suggest to people, this name, it's so-so? See, I know we, our congregation of many transplants or have children who've moved away and so forth, and so we, we are often gone visiting and different things. But then we could also test ourselves with the question, if I'm not here in this assembly, am I in another assembly worshiping the great name? There's a minister in the URC who I've noticed on, there's a, an email uh, list service thing where the URC ministers can ask each other questions and stuff. And uh, he often asks, you know, do you know a good church that you can recommend in, in London or in Italy or whatever? And it's like, I asked him when I saw him recently what that was all about. He said, well, he has people in a big city congregation or traveling around, and he's, he's told you need to be in church if you're away. And so wherever you go, if you need help finding a church, I'll help you find a church. Is that our commitment? that it doesn't matter if I'm here or somewhere else. The Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. It's a day for God's name to be praised. It belongs to him. And so wherever I am, I want to yield to him and give him glory. His name matters. And I don't want his name to be diminished by me saying to the world, it's not really so important. It's really kind of like screen time or snacking. Do I feel like it or not feel like it? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But to say this name is awesome. This is the living God who summoned me to come and praise him, to know him, to adore him. You see, we need to pray, hallowed be thy name, so that we want to come. And so we long for God. And we long that his name be lifted high. Now what does God do? What does God do for Israel after he brings an indictment? You have profaned my name. Does he leave it there? No. Notice, secondly, that this forgotten request is a remembered request. God still prioritizes his name. And so he makes this remarkable statement. And now moving on to what for me is point number two, that God remembers here his priority. He remembers the petition. And God goes on to say in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, 
Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you've profaned among the nations wherever you went. Verse 23, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Now, I always kind of read that as God saying, forget about you, it's about me, which I think is sort of what he's saying. But Matthew Henry is reading him this week, and he suggests that this was actually a great comfort for Israel. Because Israel would feel, as we feel sometimes, I don't deserve that God should take notice of me. And God is saying, you're right, you don't deserve I should take notice of you, but my name is connected to you, and I will honor my name for my sake. So be comforted, you're not lost. I'm going to honor my name among you. In fact, God says that very thing, doesn't he? He he actually says in verse 23 at the end, that they're going to know that I am the Lord when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Isn't that comforting? I know I don't worship the Lord as I ought. My affections are weak. My thoughts are distracted. My attendance is not bad because I, I have to be here, of course. But uh, that's a joke. But, uh, but, you know, I know I don't worship the Lord with all my heart. And yet, here's the comfort. The Lord's not going to cast me off. He is determined to glorify his name in me. He's not going to let me go. And that's the same for you. And this is the story of salvation. There is hope. God doesn't give up on his people. We say, well, God, what will God do? He says, well, first I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to gather you from the nations. And then he says, when I go home, we're going to have a bath. I am going to, to sprinkle you with clean water. Verse 25. And that's the gospel, isn't it? The blood of Jesus washing us from our sin, the Spirit cleansing our hearts. And then what? Well, I'm just going to do what I did before and fall back into sin. And God says, no, I'm going to do something else. I'm not just going to give you a fresh start with a clean record. I'm going to give you a new heart. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What can we do when our hearts are like stone and the word just bounces off and bounces off? I mean, don't you sometimes, even when you come to worship, I know I do, you say, I know, I know I'm not loving God or as zealous for his glory as I should be. I know I don't feel like worshiping as much as I ought. I know that's true, but I'm over here. And how do I get from here to where I should be? And the answer is that you can't. You can't. But God can. It's not that we don't have any work to do. God's given us means, right? We can pray. We can plead. We can meditate on the Lord. We can turn to his word. But, but we need the spirit of God or we can't. God does for his people here a radical remedy. He says, I've scheduled you for heart surgery. No, not bypass. A heart transplant. I'm going to give you a new heart. The issue, whatever you say, O Israel, about why you did what you did to me, whatever excuses you have, the issue, Israel, is your heart. This goes to your heart. You profane me from your heart. See, we like to say, I just forgot, or I just couldn't, or I just... God says, no. 
No, it's deeper. It's deeper than that. It's your heart. But here's the joy and the glory of the new covenant. God comes in Christ Jesus, his spirit poured out upon Pentecost, and he gives us new hearts. And these hearts that God gives us are amazing, right? Because now in our inner being, we delight in God and we love his word and we want God to be honored. And though we know we often fail, in our heart of hearts, we want it. And that has come from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you have that, right? If we have no desire that God should be honored, if it doesn't occur to us, it doesn't matter that God be glorified, do we have to ask whether or not we're a believer, right? And we'd have to pray, God, will you give me a new heart? But if we can in any way understand what it is to desire the glory of the Lord, then we say, thank you, Lord, this is not of me, it's of you. It's of you. That you changed me, that you didn't leave me, that for your name's sake, you determined to be hallowed in my life. I mean, isn't it amazing? Because you... How far would God go to get glory out of your life? How far would you go to get glory out of your life for God? And God went so far as to send his son, right? Because that's the answer to Ezekiel 36. It's the death of the Lord Jesus, the son of God. God could have cast Israel off and said, forget you. I'm going to get a new people. Instead, God said, no, I'm committed to you. And I'm going to be glorified through you. This is the saving death of our Lord Jesus has transformed our lives. Why do we even come to church? Dear minister, talk about our sin. Because we love the Lord. Why do we come to church to hear the preaching of who God is? It's because we love him. Why do we come here to give him praise? As inadequate as our praise is, as distracted as it often is, it's because we love his name. And that's grace and that's mercy. But finally this morning, let me tell you, this is a delightful petition. The petition we've often forgot, the priority that God has remembered, becomes now the petition that God is so pleased to answer, and answer in such a wonderful way, that if we, if we come to see this, and this is the third point, then we begin to understand that, that praying hallowed be thy name is not only death, which it is, should understand that. Maybe I haven't said it clearly enough. To pray, hallowed be thy name, is to die. It's pure death. Because you're saying, may your name be exalted, and your sinful nature is saying, let my name be exalted. So when you choose to pray for his name, you're driving a sword through your own heart, your old heart. But it's not just death. It's also coming to life. It's pure delight. Because the Lord says to Israel, I'm going to let you pray again. Verse 37, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. And what is he going to do? Well, he's going to multiply them. And above that, he's going to turn their desolate land into a beauty that people will pass by now and say, not shaking their heads and mocking Israel and Israel's God. They're going to pass by and say, oh, wow. This land is like the Garden of Eden. When we begin to pray, hallowed be thy name from the heart, we discover that it's actually our great delight. It's a prayer that God answers. Nothing brings us greater pleasure. And the answer to the prayers bring us great pleasure. 
Because in the end, the glory of God and the enjoyment of his people are not two things at odds with each other, right? The Westminster Confession, you know, our catechism asks, what, what's the chief end of man? And it says to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. They're in the same answer. You say, which is it? Am I to glorify God? Is that my chief end? Or am I to enjoy God forever? Is that my chief end? And the answer is, yes. Yes. As we glorify God, we are enjoying him. As we enjoy God in a biblical way, we are glorifying him. God has created us in such a way that there is no higher pleasure for us than to know the glory of the majesty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And there's no route to greater happiness for us but in bringing God glory and caring more about his name than our own name. So for the believer, you don't have to choose. Will it be my pleasure or God's glory? The Bible says, seek God's glory and seek the deepest pleasure, which is God's glory. And know this, that God loves to answer it. should be encouraging to us to know that the petition before us this morning is the one that God wrote, that his son delivered, that the spirit writes upon our hearts, which is another way of saying that when you pray this prayer, God wants to hear it and he wants to answer it. So when on Sunday morning we say, I don't really feel like getting dressed and going to church, you may know that by the blood of Jesus, the petition that God has given you now in that moment of temptation to pray is powerful. And nothing would please God more than to give you what you're asking for. God, would you help me to rightly know you so I can praise you and glorify you? And God doesn't turn away in heaven and say, oh, that's a silly prayer. No, he, he's waiting for us to ask. And so the battle for a worshipful heart is one we're not alone in. Christ has gone before us. He's opened the way. He's purchased the spirit and the new heart for us. And he is glad to continue to cultivate those hearts as we ask him. That's good news. And then God is pleased to answer our prayers, not just for ourselves, but for the world. As we say, Father, there are so many hearts in this world that are desolate hearts, and they, they don't know you, and they don't give you the glory that you deserve. When we take up prayers for that cause of missions and evangelism, for our next-door neighbor and for our faraway neighbor, those two are prayers that God is pleased to hear. And when we go to work tomorrow and we say, Lord, I, I do not want to misrepresent you. I do not want to speak again in a way of, of anger, irritation that belittles you before the world. I don't want to behave in a dishonest way. I'm supposed to make a profit in my business, but I'm tempted to be dishonest. And that would besmirch your name before the world. It's a prayer God wants to hear. Or when we have a rough spot in marriage. We think, I, I don't want before my neighbors this marriage to, to be less than it should be, God help. Or, or when we have difficulty raising children, 
or when we're struggling with, with, with medical things and we're getting grumpy in the doctor's office and we're tired of waiting in waiting rooms and doctors and we want to lash out. Hallowed be thy name. And it's the petition that God's waiting to hear. This is a great prayer. This is the greatest of all prayers. And this is the prayer prayed in heaven. This is the chief concern of God in heaven. Even our salvation was foreordained, not ultimately for our salvation, but for the glory of the Lord. The very meaning of our existence is God. And we are invited, summoned, drawn by the Spirit of Christ to be a kingdom of priests who stand upon the earth where God's name is forgotten and blasphemed and to cry out, hallow your name, Lord. Make it great in this world. Let all men know and let it begin with me that my life and my worship and my words and my thoughts and my actions will cause people to praise you until that great coming of the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is a victorious petition. Because if you keep praying it, something's going to happen. And the ultimate thing that will happen in answer to your prayers is that the heavens will part and the Lord of glory will come down. And all men will bow down and they will praise God for what they've seen in the life of the church. It's a great petition. It's an enjoyable petition. It's a delightful petition. Us on God's team praying for the greatest thing we could ever pray for and at the same time the greatest happiness we could ever have. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, Father, help us to know what that means and then help us to desire it and then help us to fight and to pray to keep that to be our chief concern. Father, forgive us of our self-centered prayers, our consuming concern for ourselves and our own names, for our own comfort and our own ease. Fill us, O Lord, with worship for you. And in our worship, O Lord, increase the praise that you get and increase the satisfaction that we have that we might, by seeking your glory, become a happier people in Jesus. And may all the world then be attracted when they see clearly in us that we possess something that they know little about, but that fills our life with joy. And we pray, Lord, you draw many people through the preaching of your gospel, through the testimony of your saints, not only in our words, but in our deeds. May they see the majesty 
of the righteousness and the goodness and the love and the justice of the true God in heaven. And may they come before the judge comes to bow down and to join with us in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.